Chapter Eight of With Fire and Sword. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. With Fire and Sword by Samuel H. M. Byers. Chapter Eight: Assaults on the Walls of Vicksburg. Logan in Battle. An Army Mule a promotion under the guns of vicksburg a storm of iron hail at vicksburg the vicksburg clock the town surrenders the glad news reading my first order to the regiment my regiment put on guard in the captured city eight days furlough in four years of war the next morning the eighteenth my regiment crossed the pontoon bridge over the big black and marched eight miles further toward vicksburg now we knew we were getting close to the richmond of the west as we crossed the black river we gazed with curiosity at the half-burned bridge from which so many unfortunates had been hurled into the water by our artillery the day before after lawler's charge thousands had tried to get over the stream by the trestle work and bridge or by swimming general osterhaus seeing the fugitives from a high point where he stood cried out to his batteries now men is the time to give them hell twenty cannon instantly hurled their iron missiles at the bridge and the flying soldiers fell to the ground or into the foaming river almost by hundreds lost at black river was the only message that ever reached the home of many a southern soldier of that day on the nineteenth at two o'clock a terrible assault was made by the army on the walls of vicksburg my own regiment still in mcpherson's corps lay close to the jackson wagon road and under a tremendous thundering of the enemy's artillery we suffered little however once i was ordered to help some men build sheds of brush for the wounded this was in a ravine behind us in an hour the work was done and as i crept up the slope to get forward to my regiment again i heard the loud voice of some officer on horseback it was general john a logan the enemy's artillery was sweeping the field at this point but i could still hear logan's voice above the battle cheering a number of soldiers that were near we have taken this fort and we have taken that he cried in tones that were simply stentorian we are giving them hell everywhere he was in full uniform his long black hair swept his shoulders his eyes flashed fire he seemed the incarnation of the reckless fearless soldier he must have thought cannonballs would not hurt him for five minutes perhaps i stood in a little dip in the ground comparatively protected while he rode up and down under a storm of cannonballs calling at the top of his warrior's voice i expected every moment to see him drop from his horse but nothing happened and i went on to the line where all our men were closely hugging the ground soon i too was stretched on the ground making myself as thin as i could on the twentieth we advanced still closer to the frowning works it was only a thousand yards to the forts of vicksburg we moved up in the darkness that night i think no one knew how close we were being taken to the enemy we lay down in line of battle and in the night our line was moved a little when daylight came my regiment was no little astonished to find that we were on an open place in full view of the enemy a comrade and i rose from the ground and commenced our toilet by pouring water into each other's hands from our canteens 
Almost at that moment the Rebels had caught sight of our men lying there in long lines so close to them, and instantly commenced throwing shells at us. My friend and I left our morning toilet uncompleted, and, seizing our rifles, we all stood in line waiting. We could see the flags of the enemy above the forts distinctly. With a glass the gunners could be seen at their guns, hurling shot and shell at us. We were in a perilous and helpless position. We were also very tired and hungry, for we had had nothing whatever to eat. But here we stayed, and by the next morning our skirmishers had advanced so close to the Vicksburg forts that the rebel gunners could reach us but little. Our gunboats, too, down in the river, now commenced hurling mighty bombs and balls into the city. On the morning of the 22nd of May, all the batteries of the army and the big guns of the river fleet bombarded the city for an hour, and under the fog and the smoke of the battle the infantry advanced to assault the works. It was a perilous undertaking. The day was fearfully hot. The forts, ten feet high, were many and powerful. The ditches in front of them were seven feet deep. That made seventeen feet to climb in the face of musketry. In battle line, my regiment ran down into the ravines in front and then up the opposite slope to the smoking breastwork. The colonel had ordered me to fasten two ammunition boxes across a mule and follow the regiment into the assault. I was to lead my mule. A soldier with a bush was to beat him from behind so as to hurry him over an exposed bit of ground at our front. The moment my mule appeared in full sight of the enemy, the bullets commenced whizzing past us. The mule, true to his ancestral instinct, commenced pulling backward. Yelling and pounding and pulling helped none at all. Two or three bullets struck the boxes on his back, and before we had pulled him half across he braced himself, held his ears back, and stood stock still. That moment the bridle came off. My assistant dodged back to our rifle pit and I hurried down to the ravine in front. The mule, too, as luck would have it, also ran now, ran down into the ravine beside me, right where he was wanted. I tied him to a little bush, and, awful as the situation about me was, I almost laughed to see the antics of that animal's ears as the bullets whizzed past him. My regiment was all lying against the hill close up to the fort. In front of them was the ditch seven feet deep, beyond them an armed fort ten feet high, emitting a constant blaze of cannon and musketry. The sun was broiling hot. I crept along the line of the regiment and gave ammunition to every company. Then I crept back a little to where my mule was still alive and his ears still at their antics. Lying there in the line beside the boys, roasting in the sun and suffering from the musketry in front, was our brave Colonel Boomer leading the brigade. He asked me once what I was doing, and when I told him, he gave me some compliments in a kind but sad low tone. Now I saw a company of men creep by me, dragging little ladders in their hands. They were to make a rush and throw these ladders across the ditch of the forts for the assaulters to cross on. They were all volunteers for a work that seemed sure death. I looked in each hero's face as he passed me, knowing almost that he would be dead in a few minutes. Scarcely a dozen of them returned alive. My regiment, with the rest of the assaulters, was simply being shot to pieces without a hope of getting into the forts. We fell back across the smoke of the battle as best we could, only to be led into an assault at another point. 
mcclurland had sent grant word that he had taken a fort on our left he wanted help to hold it our division now led by quimby was double-quicked to the next place of assault i saved my mule again i strapped two ammunition boxes over his back and followed the regiment this time i did not risk my mule so close in the battle but took all the cartridges i could carry in my arms and went to the left of the regiment once i saw a body lying on the grass by me with a handkerchief over the face i went up and looked it was our own colonel boomer who had spoken so kindly to me in the morning a useless charge had already been made by the brigade and he with many brave men was dead some of my own company lay dead there too one of them had come from iowa and joined his brother in the company that very morning all the assaulting of the twenty-second of may and all the sacrifice of life had been for nothing vicksburg was not taken now commenced the regular siege of the city we hid ourselves behind ridges in hollows and in holes in the ground as best we could communication with our gunboats on the yazoo was opened and we had plenty to eat and ammunition enough to bombard a dozen cities then the bombardment commenced indeed and lasted to the end forty-four days we often threw three hundred cannonballs and shells a day into the city the whole rebel army was also hidden in holes and hollows all the people of vicksburg lived in caves at the sides of the hills or along the bluffs of the river their homes were now like swallows nests with small entrances in the face of the hills and bluffs and big dug-out chambers inside it was a strange life with the eternal hail of cannon over them day and night and starvation of familiar figure to them it must have been a horrible one now we advanced our rifle pits and trenches and mines close up to the rebel forts though our main lines lay in the ravines and on the ridge a few hundred feet farther back as for me when not looking after the ammunition a trifling duty now i was in the trenches with the others one morning when out there at the front among our riflemen who were forever blazing day and night at every rebel fort and rifle pit i noticed our good colonel matthies creeping along the trench to where i was he had a package of brown paper in his hand imagine my surprise and pride to have him come to me and say sergeant this officer's sash is yours then he announced my appointment as adjutant of the regiment he had been made a general now and would soon leave for his new command this sash was one that he had worn and honored on many a battlefield is it any wonder that now after the long and perilous years it is preserved by me as a souvenir of honor soon after i went to a sutler's store on the yazoo river to buy a sword and uniform in those days swords were not given to officers by committees in dress coats until they had been earned this little trip to get my sword almost cost me my life my path to the river six miles away lay partly along a ridge and partly close to an empty rebel fort this fort showed scarcely any signs of having ever been used i stayed all night with the sutler whom i knew very well and at noon on a hot day started on my big yellow government horse to go back to my regiment my sword was buckled on me and my new uniform was tied in a bundle on my saddle-bow it was too hot to ride fast and my horse almost slept as he slowly carried me close by the seemingly abandoned fort suddenly there was a crash and a whole volley of musketry rattled about my ears my poor horse fell dead 
It was a quick awakening, but I managed to pull my bundle from the saddle-bow and to escape into a ravine where our own troops lay. There I learned that the fort had been occupied by the rebels in the night while I was with the sutler. It was a close call for me. One of the boys declared he could save my saddle and bridle. Take them as a present, I said, if you can get them. He crept up to where my dead horse lay, and as he rose to his feet to undo the saddle, another volley from the fort hastened him to the ravine. I laughed. If your saddle and bridle were made of gold and silver, he shouted at me as he ran back, I wouldn't try it again. Slowly and without perceptible advance, the siege went on. The little battery that my regiment had saved at Lucca was still with us, and behind some breastworks at our immediate right. It was no uncommon thing to see even Grant himself come along and stop and watch Captain Zier's guns knock the dirt up from some fort in front of us. One day this battery wounded a man who was running between two rebel breastworks. The enemy tried to secure his body, but every soul that showed himself for an instant was shot by our riflemen. For half an hour this shooting over one poor man's body was kept up, until it seemed that a battle was taking place. Now our lines were so close together that our pickets often had a cup of coffee or a chew of tobacco with the rebel pickets at night. Drummer Bain, of my company, had a brother among the soldiers inside Vicksburg. One night he met him at the picket line, and together they walked all through the beleaguered town. But such things were dangerous business and had to be kept very quiet. The weather was now very warm and fine, some of the night's clear moonlight, and when the guns had stopped their roaring, many a time in the quiet night we heard the bell clock on the Vicksburg courthouse measuring out the hours. It is said that this clock never stopped for an instant in all the siege, nor under the hundred cannon that rained iron hail into the town. At night, too, the big mortars from our fleet, some miles from us, tossed mighty bombs into the air that sailed like blazing comets and fell at last among the people hidden in their caves. One day Governor Kirkwood of Iowa visited our regiment and made a speech to us in a hollow back of our line. We cheered, and the rebels, hearing us and knowing we must be assembled in masses, hurled a hundred cannonballs and shells over our heads, yet I think few were hurt. This was the 3rd of June. Every night that we lay there on the line we went to sleep, fearing to be waked by an attack from the army of rebels under Johnston, now assembled at our rear. This was the force we most feared, not the army we had penned up in Vicksburg. Nevertheless, the batteries in front of us gave us enough to do to prevent any inwa on our part. On the 15th of June the enemy got one big gun in a position to rake from our left the ravine in which my regiment was lying. We all stuck close to our little caves on the ridge side, and few got hurt. In the meantime, we were working day and night putting more breastworks in front of us, though we were now but four hundred yards away from the rebel lines. Here, as many times elsewhere, I copy from my diary. Last night, the 16th, the major of our regiment, Marshall, took two hundred men and worked all night digging new ditches and building breastworks. It was rainy and muddy. The rebels heard us at the work, and in the darkness slipped up and captured a few men. Some of the enemy, however, also got taken in. This is the kind of work that is going on every night until daybreak, and then we fire bullets all the day into the enemy's lines to prevent their repairing their forts. The cannonading and the rifle shooting never cease. The roar is simply incessant, and yet when off duty we sleep like newborn babes. 
All the region we are in is hills and ravines, brush and canebrake, with here and there a little cotton field. Nature defends Vicksburg more than a dozen armies could. She has built scores of positions around the town, strong as anything, at Sevastopol. The rumors kept coming of a purposed attack on our rear. On the 20th of June, at 4 o'clock in the morning, all the cannon on Grant's lines and all the cannon on the gunboats opened fire on the town and thundered at it for six mortal hours. They must have been awful hours for the people inside. No such cannonading ever took place on the continent before or since. We private soldiers did not know the exact object of this fearful bombardment. The rebels probably lay in battle line, expecting an assault, and must have suffered greatly. In the night of the 22nd of June, at midnight, rumors again came of a great rebel army marching on our rear. It was a beautiful moonlight night, and my regiment, together with whole divisions of the army, received orders to hurry back toward Black River, where cavalry skirmishing had taken place. No battle came on, but for two days we lay in line of battle, or else built breastworks for defense. On the 3rd of July, as we were bivouacked in a little wood, news came that the whole rebel army in Vicksburg had prepared to surrender the next day, the nation's jubilee day. Instantly the regiment was ordered to fall in. I had no little pride in reading to the men the dispatch from General Grant announcing the great news. It was the first order I had ever read to the regiment as its adjutant, and its great importance gratified me much. The whole command acted as if they were drunken or had suddenly lost their minds. Privates and officers shook hands and laughed and wept, while majors and colonels turned somersaults on the grass. It was indeed a great moment to us all. Twenty-seven thousand men, with twenty-four generals and one hundred and eighty cannon, was a great capture. We all knew we had made history on that day. Now the whole rebel army passed out along the roads where we lay. I sat on a rail fence near our bivouac and watched the host go by. The officers all looked depressed, but the soldiers seemed glad the suspense and danger were over and that they could now have enough to eat. Our regiment freely divided with them all we had. After a few days' pursuit of Johnston's army at our rear, now suddenly our front, my regiment is ordered into Vicksburg. We pass in over the breastworks that had been so terrible to us a few days before. Looking at them, I wondered at our hardihood in assaulting them. It would be hard to climb through these ditches and into these forts, even were no cannon and no deadly muskets behind them. My regiment is put on duty as a city guard. It now seems strange enough to be guarding the very town and the very forts we had so recently been assaulting. There are other troops here, but the 5th Iowa is the guard proper. We find the town badly battered up, with terrible signs of war everywhere. There, too, were the graves of the dead and brave defenders. If wrong, they still had been brave men. Years afterward, a shaft was put up to their memory, and on it I read these words. We care not whence they came, dear in their lifeless clay, whether unknown or known to fame, their cause and country still the same. They died, and they wore the gray. The weather continued hot while we were there guarding the town, and the place was very sickly. Many citizens and many colored soldiers died. It was pitiable to see how little people cared, even our own soldiers, whether these poor Negro soldiers died or lived. Our own regiment suffered little, yet on July 28, 70 were in the hospital. 
We camped at Randolph and Locust streets, and spite of the mercury's being 100 degrees in the shade, had pleasant soldier times. I mounted the guard every morning, and then spent most of the day reading to the colonel, who was sick. In September I secured a leave of absence to go north. For the only time during the four years' war I visited my home. I was there but eight days, half of my time having been lost by the steamer I was on, sticking on sandbars. I saw strange sights in the north in those days, women and children and old men reaping the fields, home guards training at every village, cripples and hospitals everywhere. Yet in spite of war, prosperity was blessing the north. End of chapter 8 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah